so I was in a little town. I grew up in a little town called Knightsville, Florida. Yeah, I think I've heard of it. Yep. And um, I was working in a little bitty uh, development called Blue Water Bay, laying, uh, laying water and sewer lines uh, uh, and pursuing a, uh, a degree in criminology. Um, I, was, uh, I was wanting to be a cop. Uh, my dad was the chief of police of Niceville. And uh, so my goal was to be a cop and, you know, stay in my hometown and, and support my hometown. And uh, <clears throat> so I was doing that at night, going to school at night and working out in Blue Water Bay uh, during the day construction. And, uh, you know, you know how it gets hot and humid in Florida. Mm -hmm. and, uh, one day the gnats were all over me. I was sweating. I'm down in this uh, in a ditch and I'm going man, I need an inside job. <laughs> so, uh, so I jumped out of the, I jumped out of the ditch and I went up to the foreman that was running the backhoe. And I said, Hey, listen, uh, his name was Mike. I said, I'll never forget this. I said, Hey, Mike, uh, I need to take the afternoon off. He says, uh, what are you doing? I said, uh, I'm going to go join the air force. And he said, what? I said, yeah. He said, I said, this isn't for me. You know, I need to, I need to go find an inside job nine to five type thing. And, um, he didn't believe me. He just thought I wanted the afternoon off. No kidding. No kidding. Went to the recruiter and, um, um, you know, the rest is history. So the yeah. rest is history. And you have yeah. a lot of history, uh, and a legacy with big Mike. I mean, my God. And you know what? I have a similar, you know, childhood. My dad was, uh, in the air force. He did 26 years. Um, and then my grandfather on my dad's side and my grandfather on my mom's side both served. They were both stationed in Turkey, and that's how my parents met when they were in high school. Wow. wow. So I have – and then my great-great-grandfather on my mom's side was a, a fighter pilot, you know, much different aircraft then. And uh, when he retired, he ended up being like PA where he could, you know, help Hollywood film – flight scenes mm -hmm. and i thought man how of course that's my great-grandfather like that's awesome though Absolutely. yeah and i have his book he only has one copy of the book left and i have it and there's pictures with like frank sinatra and all sorts of oh, celebrities there's stories in there about generals back then that only exist in that book so i gotta you know find a way to get that like i don't know published or something absolutely absolutely um, you know, I, as, as I said, uh, you know, the, the military, my, uh, again, same background, my dad was uh, a 26 year master sergeant. Uh, my wife's uh, father was a, a 21 year major. And, uh, and her father was a 29 year colonel. So, and, and then myself and now Mike. And um, so it's, it's uh, you know, as my boss, my now boss would say, it's a long blue line. Definitely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Okay. So before we get into, you know, your careers, um, I did come up with some questions. I call it the hero's gauntlet. And I, you know, sometimes they're just random. And then sometimes, you know, I actually think them through. And so these ones are a little bit more tailored to you. And so I'm going to ask you three questions each. And then after we get through that, then we will talk about a little bit about the highlights of your career. Because I know you have a, a very interesting background and you still do to this day. <laughs> All right. So for the Heroes Gauntlet, first question, 
is for you, Buck. And that question is, what was the proudest moment you had while serving alongside General Goldfein? Um, wow, that's a that is a great question. Um, oh gosh, there's so many, right? So uh, just just listening to him and 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 going out um, and uh, you know traveling with him, going to all calls, and uh, and watching. Um, he, uh, he changed uh, these little, these young airmen's lives, right? So these young airmen have never, uh, you know, you know, physically seen a four-star, you know, meeting and, you know, vice is meeting them. And he would go up and he would take the time to sit down and say, okay, tell me your story, right? So, so what's my greatest point is watching that young airman's eyes just glitter, Right. Because, you know, you, you, you just, it's like, it's like you meeting your superstar, your hero, right? Uh, it's the same thing for that young airman. And I, and I watch him and I, it was a young man. I'll, I'll never forget this. And uh, it was at uh, Minot and, um, you know, he didn't know what to say. And uh, boss said, uh, Hey, take a deep breath. Tell me your story. And you could just tell the young man was really, really nervous. But at the end of the conversation, he gave him a hug and uh, oh, wow. that, that was the dad, you know, that was the dad coming out in him, right? Not only a chief, mm -hmm. but it was, it was a dad. And, and, and that, when that young man walked off, so relaxed, uh, you know, that was probably one of the highlights of, of me watching him as a chief, not only a chief, but as a dad. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, and, and he definitely has that, that charisma, that aura, um about him where you know he's not only like a unique person with a unique skill set super hardworking, super intelligent but he's also got this whole other side to him where you know he's very uh philosophical and really genuinely wants to get to know the people around him so i think just the the culmination of his personality is like insanely unique and and very much well appreciated Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Josh, I, I think that I have to say is, uh, you know, not only was he a, a four-star general, but he's also a, a human being, you know, so people, you know, he has feelings, he has, you know, things that he deals with and, and we don't see that part of it, right? We just see the chief and, 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 you know, the, the high sides of it. And I'm not saying low sides, but, you know, he has, concerns just like we have concerns right and um uh you know and he kind of um uh just uh, uh you know all i can say is uh, uh when he when he talks to these young men and women airmen soldiers sailors and marines um you know he just he you know he just invites them in right and it's so neat to watch that and he does it so well you know i can i can remember one of the conversations that uh, a young lady uh, that he was chatting with and and um, the young lady says you're not gonna believe my dad would never believe this and he says get him on the phone right he talks to this young lady's dad so you can That's imagine amazing. that this young lady will never ever forget that right? she probably still tells that she's gonna tell her grandkids that story yeah absolutely so there so there you go so yeah no i love that that's beautiful all right big mike this one's for you yes sir uh, all right so what quality from your father do you use for your own approach while serving in the Air Force? Ooh, that goes deep. 
Um, it would have to be just the dedication to try and do my best no matter what I'm doing because we get different challenges every day. So I have to think on my toes and be quick with or with how I pursue whatever I'm going to do because every day we get hit with a different type of incident. So as long as you're confident going into it and you know what you're going to end up doing, it's just being consistent with it. So putting your all into whatever's in front of you and staying disciplined about it, basically. Yes, sir. So you think you got that from Buck? I do. Nice. You have an example? Um, it's just there's so many different incidents that we will respond to. And it's just everything's different every day. It's never the same. Was there ever something you responded to where like your inner buck came out and you just got after it? Um, just different incidents. It's just being driven about like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, I don't know. Well, think about it. We'll come back to you. Okay. <laughs> I told you the hero's gauntlet is no joke. I told y'all. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I'm ready. Bring it on. Oh yeah. Bucks. He's, he's in the zone. I could tell, I could tell when a man's in the zone and he, he is in the zone. All right. So Buck, do you have any regrets from your time in the U S air force? And would you have done anything differently? Uh, zero regrets, zero regrets. The air force, uh, not only took care of me, but it took care of my family and it continues to take care of my family. Right. So, um, you know, my wife, Jamie, and I were, you know, uh, cleaning out some stuff, and I found one of my first LESs in my first two weeks. I mean, $231. That was we'll spend it all one, in place. Yeah, that was when uh, uh, that was a long time ago, right? So it was my, I was an E1 under two, uh, first LES out of basic training. Um, and, you know, it was tough some days you to rub two nickels together, right? But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the Air Force was always there. You know, they had, uh, they had programs. They had, uh, you know, um, free movie nights. They had, you know, they, they knew, they knew that the young, the young airmen and family spouses uh, were challenged for, were monetarily challenged, right? And, and they looked out for that. And uh, it's just uh, your, your first sergeants and your senior NCOs back in the day. You know, I can remember, and I can, I'll, I'll be honest, I came in in, uh, October, uh, in um, April of 1982. And, uh, you know, a staff sergeant, you're a pretty, uh, staff sergeant, you were pretty, uh, you were pretty scared of, right? Um, but I can remember some days that, you know, they'd pull you to the side and they'd just say, hey, it's going to be okay. Just trust the system. Trust the institution is what they would say. And, uh, you know, some days you'd go, man, I'm just sure not, I'm not sure that this is what I wanted to do, right? Because because you, you're thinking, you know, you're not going to get rich. And whoever watches this knows that you're not going to get rich. But I think the satisfaction, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, um, you look and you go, man, I, you know, I, I, I helped somebody out or they helped me out, right? So uh, no regrets, no regrets at all. Okay. <clears throat> that was an amazing answer. Loved it. And I believe you, Yeah. but I'm not going to let you get off that easy. Yeah. So, so 
the other part to that question is what would you have done differently? So um, uh, differently, um, I had the opportunity. Um, I worked a, um, I was a staff sergeant going into tech sergeant and I worked for um, an admiral over at Sackland in NATO in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, the admiral that I worked for was pulled up to go be the CNO and um, the chief of naval operations. And um, the new admiral that came in had his own staff. So I was, um, so, you know, I, I was on a controlled assignment over in Norfolk and uh, with NATO working for the Navy. And um, so anyway, I, I worked for this one-star admiral, Don Dyer, um, you know, rest in peace, a great guy, prior enlisted uh, sailor, uh, went through the ranks, got commissioned. Anyhow, long story short was he had asked, uh, I was 10 years in the Air Force, and he wanted me to get into a program in the Navy called LDO, Limited Duty Officer. And he wanted me to get commissioned. And, um, you know, I looked at it, my wife and I talked about it. And, uh, you know, the, the biggest plus was, you know, I was going to come in, I was going to be a uh, limited duty, I was going to be an officer in the Navy. The negative part of it uh, in our eyes was uh, I was going to be, deployed on a ship for three years, right? And uh, so we had three children and uh, we talked about it and, you know, we thanked the Admiral uh, for for thinking about us, uh, but I declined it. And uh, so we did look back at that a little bit and go, hey, you know, where would we have been uh, if we would have taken that avenue? But, you know, at the end of the day, Josh, life is life is bueno. Life is good. Yeah. No, I'd say, I'd say your what you chose made sense. I mean, you know, sometimes you know, raising your family is kind of priceless. You know, you you don't get a second chance to see them grow up. So, you know, had you taken that giant pay raise, it would have came with a lot of sacrifice of your time, and you would have missed a, a whole lot of stuff for that. So, no, I think you, I think you chose wisely. That's good. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, Mike. What three lessons have you learned from your short time serving so far? And by the way, how long have you been serving? Uh, it'll be coming up on four years in December, so I'm still a youngin. Okay, so this, that's a good question then. So what three lessons have you learned so far in your career? Um, I would say the first one is probably the most important. It's to keep your nose clean. No matter what you're doing, just keeping your nose clean, setting yourself up on a path that you want to accomplish your goals. Um, right now, I work in a job, so I see people mess up, but I can also see how they can rebound within their time. Um, secondly, it's just being, let's say, disciplined. Kind of goes back to the first one, but being disciplined and not sticking, staying within your realm, knowing what you need to do to get done. Um, and then thirdly, can you repeat the question one more time? What three lessons have you learned from your short time serving so far? Um, being comfortable in different situations. Yeah. So growing up, 
um, in a military family, it kind of set me up for when I joined the military. So it put me in a more comfortable zone going into basic. Going into basic, I was more confident. I had people asking me questions because I even did ROTC through high school. So I came in more confident within that. Um, and then once I got to my first base, I was, um, I, I came with a big group. So that group kind of looked towards me and I kind of helped try and lead them as soon as we got here. So just being competent and leading um, definitely helped. Absolutely. <clears throat> the more you get uncomfortable and take that chance on yourself, you know, the more you get out of your comfort zone, you know, the quicker things are going to click for you. And, That's what it's and, all about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, if I'm being transparent, I didn't, I didn't do that until I was 10 years in. I mean, if I'm being completely honest with you, um, I had a lot of catching up to do when, you know, when it clicked for me. Um, and so now, you know, where I'm sitting, I try to get that, that light bulb to go off a little bit earlier than it did for me. Um, and so I think that, you know, you being ahead of the game, you're, you're kind of always prepared for that next chapter, you know, um, and being comfortable in your own skin is a serious blessing because not everyone has that. Right. So you, and you have to earn it, right. It's not just handed to you. Yes, um, drinking I'd say is, is pretend confidence, right. But, but you truly earned it, Mike. So I'm proud of you, man. Keep, keep doing that. Keep challenging yourself. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, Buck, how do you feel when you see your son in uniform? Oh, wow. I tell you, Josh, you just gave me goosebumps. Just gave Boom. me goosebumps. Uh, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, it, it's like that rooster walking around, right? You know, you bow your chest out. You go, yeah, that's my boy. You know, um, I was that dad uh, that never said, Mike, you need to join the Air Force. You know, that was going to be his choice, right? I was not that, I was not going to be that helicopter dad to go, this is what you need to do to succeed, right? You know, I said, Mike, you do whatever makes you happy. And, um, you know, he did a couple jobs and, and he was, um, I, I'll never forget this. Uh, so I'm a kind of civilian uh, working up in, in Washington and Mike's uh, second shift at, uh, here in Hampton Roads at a, New, new shipbuilding. And uh, so I would drive home every um, Friday night, right? I'd come home Friday night and then go back up to Washington on Sundays. And um, and when he called, uh, he called me on my drive home. And he said, hey, dad, you're going to be up. I need to talk to you. And so as a dad, you know, so many things run through your mind. You know, so many things. And he's like, hey, you're going to be up. And I said, uh, absolutely, because he didn't get off till midnight. And, uh, and you know, so he comes in and, and he has two adult beverages in his hand as he's walking in. And I'm going, oh, God, he's going to tell me I'm going to be a granddad. You know, I'm thinking the worst, right? And, um, and he sits down and he goes, uh, I said, what's up, dude? He said, hey, I just want your blessing. I want to go in the Air Force. And I said, dude, no brainer. Um, but to answer you're your like, question, you're like, open those drinks. Let's go. Absolutely. But to answer your question, um, when I saw him, uh, my wife and I went to BMTS graduation, you know, and I saw him, um, um, you know, at the tap out, you know, when you go after, you know, when you graduate basic training, I, it was just, um, you know, it was like I was looking in a mirror 
40 years earlier. So, um, yeah, well, that, must, that must be surreal. There. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I would assume, Josh, that, you know, my dad um, thought the same thing, right? Thought the same Definitely. thing about me. So, but yeah, over the moon. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. Can I, do y'all have any pictures of that day? I do. You got to shoot those over to me. Yeah. I'll share those with you. <laughs> I'll yep. make that, that the episode cover. Yeah, I, I will. I will do that. Yep. Awesome. All right. Last question from Mike. Okay. So you've been in four years. So this is, this is a good question. So Mike, where do you hope to see yourself in 10 years? Um, I would hopefully like to be an OSI. Um, that's what I joined the Air Force to do. Or my goal was to go OSI. Um, so once I get back from deployment, I'm going to pursue that. Um, ideally, I'd like to make staff this year. I missed staff by two points last year, so that was a bit defeating. But again, but can I can I interrupt him? He's only been in two and a half years when he was tested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> I'm not upset about it. It was another year to learn and grow. So I'm perfectly okay with it. It just would have been cool to make it on my first try. But my goal this year is to make staff and then uh, within the next 10 years, hopefully be a tech and maybe even a master. So you want to do 20 years or more? Yes, sir. And and hopefully be OSI at that point. OSI, um, that's the goal. Cause you never know. It's just interesting. Again, it's like security forces. You don't know what you're getting into every day. It's always a different challenge and it's always something different. You can learn um, mm -hmm. a lot of good experience comes out of that. Being able to travel. I joined the air force to travel security forces. Hasn't let me travel a lot. Um, I originally had orders over to Ramstein, Germany, but I was going through tech school right when COVID kicked off and they canceled all overseas orders so I got started here to Tyndall, but I am very happy I came to Tyndall. Um, Tyndall's been great. Yeah, I mean, at least you got Tyndall. You know what I'm saying? It could have it could have gone a much different way. Yes, sir. <laughs> could end up a cannon, or not saying anything's wrong, with cannon. But right, you could have just been in the middle of nowhere, basically. Yeah. And, you know, if that's your thing, great. But you know, something tells you that might not be your thing. I don't know. Um, okay. Well, Hey, you guys passed the hero's gauntlet. You did phenomenal. Thank you so much, you know, for sharing those stories. Those were absolutely beautiful. So thank you. And so for the topics, I just thought we could kind of hear your air force journey a little bit. Now, obviously if you went into every single nook and cranny, I mean, that'd be, that'd be a lot. I'm not, I'm not looking at you, Mike. I'm looking at Buck when I say that. Um, so I was thinking maybe just hit the highlights, hit those, hit those major crossroads, those major uh, points in your career. Um, just, just because I think it's a, a really cool story um, for you, especially Buck, uh, as to how you got to work for General Goldfein and how you still work with him to this day, um, and that your son was in it. Just the whole thing was just uh, kind of a beautiful, you know, situation and story. So I was hoping you could kind of talk about yourself a little bit. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's the, that's the toughest deal is, is trying to talk about yourself. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But um, so I came in, uh, you know, I came in for four years and uh, just to get a, an education and to get out. And um, my first assignment, uh, Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. 
and uh, had no idea. You know, as I said, I grew up in Niceville, and I was hoping to get, you know, Eglin, Herbert, Tyndall, you know, McDill, uh, you know, and my first assignment comes out as Holloman. I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm about to do. Oh, my goodness. Uh, went out there as an admin guy, uh, you know, for the older folks going to watch this, a 702, and uh, worked in the mailroom. Um, and, um, you know, I went out and at bits delivered the mail and uh, uh, caught the eye of a, of a exec over at the 833rd Air Division um, and, and when we had air divisions. And um, it was, uh, he was um, an exec for a guy named Colonel Chuck Horner. Um, and, uh, you know, to retire at, a, at the rank of four-star general, Chuck Horner uh, ran the war, the Gulf War. Anyhow, so I, I was pulled up to go work at the 833rd Air Division, uh, worked for, uh, worked there a little bit, uh, got an assignment to TAC, uh, TAC XP, matter of fact, at Langley here. And, um, and I was pulled on to the XP staff and uh, General Horner was the TAC XP, uh, worked for General Horner, uh, on his staff, uh, he left. I worked for a guy, General Joe Ashey. Uh, General Ashey uh, was there for about 16 months. He left. Uh, Mike Ryan came in. Uh, and then when General Mike Ryan came in, um, by that time, I had um, uh, got my assignment to NATO over in Norfolk, a joint assignment uh, that uh, went over to Norfolk for three years, started out with uh, Admiral uh, Bud Edney, and then into Admiral Dyer. Uh, worked for him for three years. Um, wanted to get out of the flag business, right? And I wanted to get out of working for GOs. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. How are you working for so many high-ranking people back to back to back? How is that? That's very unusual. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you get into an admin, you get into an admin staff, right? And uh, it was like TAC XP admin. Right, so you're right outside the directorate's office, um, and and you know when when you when these two stars at the time they rotate, you know the next two star will come in, but some, sometimes they'll have um, an admin guy that they want to bring in. It's just kind of you know that they're comfortable with or whatever, but these guys kept. Uh, asking me or the, you know, they said, Hey, let Buck stay along. Right. So, so I was able to stay and watch different, you know, their, their different management styles. Um, and um, Buck, you could you know, like, so seriously, you could write a book because the amount of people that you've worked with, you know, with the, the responsibility that they had, the amount of different leadership approaches that you've seen and witnessed, in the behind the scenes stuff too. I mean, you could easily, you know, yeah. put that into a book. You should think yeah. about that. Yeah. But uh, so when I did my three years in uh, at NATO um, and I wanted to get out of the business of working for flags and geos. And uh, so I was, I was hired to go down to Eglin. And uh, so it was kind of funny. I signed into Eglin April 20th, 1992. I joined the air force. April 20th, 1982. Wow. 10 years to the day I signed into my hometown thinking score. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to homestead there. I'm going to hide. No one's going to know me. You know, I'm just going to hang out, 
had still had family there. Um, anyhow, so I went down into, I was assigned to the Tactical Air Warfare Center, TOC, now is the AUK Air Warfare Center. Um, but um, uh, went down there, uh, went down into the flight line side, was doing OPRs, EPRs, or it was APRs at the time, and uh, decorations, right? So working for a little squadron, and um, <laughs> there was a, uh, uh, Oh gosh, uh, George Harrison, Bill Harrison uh, was the talk commander and found out that I had worked, you know, my previous work, right? And they were looking for a guy to come up into the, I talked to the admin there in his, in the front office. And uh, I just said, uh, you know, not interested, but you know, I, I didn't have a choice. So the exec, uh, Chuck Rumley, I'll never forget him. He said, Hey, Buck, um, uh, General Harrison would like to meet you. Uh, would you, would you like to come over and meet him? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, what do I need to bring? And I'll never forget this. And he said, well, everything you came with. Oh my God. And I'm thinking, well, what does this mean? You know, so I, I knew what it meant. Right. So I knew that, you know, I didn't hide long. It was about three weeks. So um, how are you like, what are you doing to make these generals be like, Hey, Bucks, that's my right hand. That's my man. Like, how are well, how is that happening? What, like, yeah, is it your work ethic? Question, Josh. Great, great question. You know, you get into an inner circle, right? You get into a a fit of a trust, right? That that these flags trust you, and and they know that they can say something, and it and you know it it you just you you're a confidant, right? So uh, I, I think that was one of the reasons. Uh, and, you know, those guys talk to each other. They are at different conferences that they go, hey, listen, you ever heard of this guy named Buck? And, they, and you know, one would go, yeah, absolutely good guy, whatever. Um, but uh, um, so George Harrison calls me in. You know, I go to work for him. You know, we're in there. I'm in there about five months. And, uh, and I'm sending him back and forth to McDill because he's just about to deploy to Riyadh to be the JTF SWAT commander. And uh, I pick him up from the airport, uh, Walton Beach Airport, and um, I said, "Hey, I said, how would your TDY go?" He said, "Hey, it went great." I said, uh, "I said, yeah." I said, "You're gonna have a lot of fun over there in Riyadh." And he said, "Yeah, we are." And he said, uh, "I said, you know," I said, "Wait a minute." I said, "We." He says, "Well," he says, "Do you want me to tell Jamie, or are you gonna tell her?" And oh um, I had four days to get my stuff together and, uh, and we headed off to Riyadh, uh, did, uh, did six months there at JTF SWA. I lived at Escon village, um, there, uh, you know, outside of Riyadh. And, uh, so anyhow, I did that, came back still thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm good. Now I'm back home. And, uh, Joe Hurston gets an assignment to Afotech in Albuquerque. And he goes, guess we're on our way to Albuquerque, Buck. And I thought, oh, no, man, I can't do it. Dang, New Mexico got you. Yeah. So now now we're in Albuquerque um, and uh, working uh, at Afrotech. Been there about 16 months. He didn't get picked up for his third star. And, uh, and he wanted to take care of Jamie and I. And uh, he said, hey, listen, he said, I think this would be a good move for you. And um, he said, I think you need to go to Washington. And here I was at Tech Sergeant, and I'm thinking, Washington. You know, by this time, I'm going, yeah. So Michael wasn't even born yet. Oh, this wow. was 
96. And um, he says, uh, I, I think you need to go to work for Ron Fogelman. And I'm going, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I said, I don't know anything about Washington. So he said, uh, yeah. So long story short was that he flew, uh, that they got my name. Uh, they, I, I made a cut. Uh, they wanted to interview Jamie and I. So Jamie and I flew out for an interview with uh, General Fogo and Miss Jane and the team. And um, uh, they hired me. Oh, wow. So we, so we went back uh, to Albuquerque and two weeks later, we're packed up moving to Washington. Jeez. Yeah. So, so we get to Washington. I work for uh, General Fogelman, uh, you know, on, in the front office staff. And um, uh, gosh, uh, you know, about 18 months later, uh, you know, I got a, I won't use the exec's name because, uh, because of what he said, uh, but he said, hey, good news, Buck. Uh, bad news is you got an assignment OSA. Good news is I think we can fix it. And I said, uh, this is honest to gosh truth. And uh, I said, by that time I had made master. And I said, no, I said, it's, there's no reason for another master sergeant in the Air Force to get my assignment because who I work for that I'm not going. And, uh, and I told him that. And he said, ah, go talk to Jamie about it. And I said, no. I said, you know, it's, it's not fair for another master sergeant to get hit with my remote and me not go because who I'm working for. Said, not fair. So, um, dang, Buck, that's some uh, quite the integrity. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm impressed. So that, was, that was just that's just that's just the way that I did my my 21 years, right? So when I left, Michael was 10 months old. Went to Osan for a year. Finally worked at the squadron level. Uh, worked for a guy named Jake Palumbo, Lieutenant Colonel, that made uh, two stars. Uh, it was funny. I, I went in. Uh, this is the crazy story. Is I went in to uh, General Fogelman's aide de camp, and I said, and he went by Mumbles, Major Palumbo, and I said, Mumbles. I said, Look at this man. This guy has your same last name. He said, uh, Yeah, that's my brother. Whoa. So, so I'm working. You know, I'm working for Mumbles, which is the aide to Fogelman, going to work for his brother. That's the MSG commander out at Osan. Anyhow, did a year at Osan. Um, Came back, um, you know, and uh, again, so now I have the stink on me. I'm coming back to headquarters ACC and um, uh, General Eberhardt's exec at the time, a guy named Colonel Phil Breedlove calls me and says, Buck, you're late for work uh, on the ACC front staff. And um, so uh, go on, go up into ACC headquarters working for COMAC. Um, and then um, eight Comax later, you know, I, I go to Washington and work for, you know, I, I, I worked for uh, Eberhardt and then I worked for Jumper um, and then I worked for uh, uh, Hornberg and then I retired in Hornberg's tenure and went right back to work as a trip planner, as a civilian at ACC, you know, it was it was Master Sergeant Holloway on Friday and and Buck on Monday, so wow. um, and then went through seven more Coley Fraser Keys, you know, Carlisle and Carlisle's the last one, and then I went and did a real quick stint over at um, Amic because I knew I couldn't get promoted anymore at ACC, 
Um, and then about uh, 14 months later, I got in a call from, uh, from the chief's office and asked if I was interested to come up there and do the deal. So sorry wow. it took so long, but that was it. No, that's, you have done a lot. Oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, now he's, now that's it. Nope. Now that's it. Nope. There's more. Yeah. Um, so when you retired, what year was that? I retired from active duty in uh, 2002. I was supposed to retire in April, but stop loss because of uh, 9-11. Uh, so I was able to retire in June um, and then really just transitioned the next, you know, that following Monday as a civilian. Because um, they didn't want to lose the continuity, right? You know, there was a, it, it was a, it, it's kind of a one man show. I mean, you've been the continuity your whole career. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then, and then, you know, where I am today, it would have, it's all because of, uh, you know, that trust that, uh, that not letting them down. Yeah. Trust and loyalty, you know, yeah. is, a uh, is a big deal. Yeah. And, and Josh, I can, I can, you know, speak for Mike. Mike's the same way, right? You know, he is, he's loyal to that, uh, to that organization and that team. Uh, and I think that team knows it. Right. So, um, you know, kudos to him. Definitely. Okay. So how long have you known general Goldfein for? So Joe Goldfein, uh, when he was the a three at ACC one and two star, uh, gosh, that was probably, Oh, I, I can't even guess. Uh, uh, Will Frazier was the comic. I would probably say I've known him 12 years, uh, but, you know, I knew his brother, Steve Goldfein, which was the first fighter wing commander, and then went out to be, you know, the Air Warfare Center commander out at Nellis. So I knew his brother before I knew him, uh, but then, you know, uh, uh, General Goldfein and I, um, he traveled with uh, General Will Frazier to one of the AOR trips, and I was, you know, on that, on that TUI and, uh, you know, we just built a, a, a relationship and a friendship then. So could you talk a little bit about that, like the details surrounding how you and uh, the general, you know, hit it off? Um, you know, it was, you know, uh, it was going to, it was kind of the, the same story that I, I brought you, uh, you know, the, the thing, thing I told you earlier in the conversation is, you know, you said, hey, what's your story? And he goes, wow, that's a pretty cool story. So I just kind of told him the same story I told you. He said, "Hey, that's a pretty good story," and 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 he knew uh, that uh, the paths that the folks that I have crossed, he knew. Um, and um, you know, you 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 put that in a in a memory bank, right? And he said, "You know, he's never told me this, but you know, I know that I do it. Is that you know, you you pull that out when you need it, right?" And, uh, and he and Ms. Dawn were up in Washington and they needed a trip planner and they needed a logistics guy. And they said, Hey, see what Buck's doing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and you know, how, how was that? Was that like you hit the ground running? Um, was it, was it a different situation because of the position that he held? You know, how, how was that? Um, you know, so the ops tempo, uh, you know, doing it for Comac. Uh, of course, is not doing the same for, you know, the chief of staff. Um, but, you know, when you, when you go up there, um, 
you just you just react right you you just get into a react mode and you get into a survival mode and and my my entire four years I was up there, my goal was to keep him off the front of the Air Force Times, right? Mm. Anything to do with logistics, anything to do with mill air, anything to do with anything that I had to do with his travel, right? I, I, I did not want to be that purpose or that cause. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to knock on wood that, you know, my mission accomplished. Um, but it was, again, it was that, you know, you just... You, you use the tools, whether it was general counsel, whether it was league, uh, whether it was uh, legislative liaison, whether it was international public affairs. I mean, you just use those networks to make sure that you were doing the right thing, right? Or, you know, when, when someone asked that, hey, we want to put him in his Israeli F-15, you know, I said, oh, no, I, you know, I, I can't approve that, right? So, so I go, you know, you, you just have, it's just like you, right? You have a network and you go, okay, who, who's going to, who's going to help, who's going to approve this, right? So, you know, it's, it's just, uh, all I can say is, you know, when I got up there, it was a little bit of survival because it was, the ops tempo uh, was so high, was so fast. Um, and, you know, when I would work uh, at ACC, you had a team of three or four that traveled, right? Five at the most. You know, when you work for the chief, you know, you have 10, 12 sometimes uh, that travel with the party and you're responsible for that entire party. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, you know, again, I'm not, uh, it, it, I, I, it was, a, it was a good gig. Wow. <clears throat> so, you know, when I, I got to be an exec to a med group commander when I was a tech sergeant, um, and, and that was like my first look behind the curtain, as I like to say, right? I've only met them on their very professional and best terms. I've never got to know them as a person or behind the scenes. And so I was working for Colonel Crystal Henderson. I hit it off with her, and I think it's because I made her laugh is why because she i was it was supposed to be an officer and i was just there temporarily but then she made the call to keep me in that position yeah. so i was the only group level exec that was enlisted um and i'd like to think it's because well one i made her laugh two she trusted me and could vent to me um and three you know i i was always there to just listen and and lend an ear or, or opinion um and that that did happen sometimes and so you know, did that ever happen with you, Buck, when you worked for General Goldfein? Did did you have situations like that? Absolutely. You know, I, I'm I'm. Um, there was a situation that um, that was devastating uh, for the Air Force that may have happened out in Texas uh, with a staff sergeant uh, that um, um, he was a security forces, I believe, at, at a time. Uh, he went and, and, and he um, went to a church and, um, and did a, some bad things, right? Uh, I'll just leave it at that. And uh, that really hit Dave really bad. I mean, it just, it just tore him up. And I, and I remember uh, if you went into his office, um, he had a, a picture of John Chapman, you know, on his wall. 
in his office. And, you know, I walked through the outer office there when he, you know, in the chief's office and uh, the exec was standing there and you could just tell, I mean, it was the million mile stare out the E-ring window to the National Monument. And um, I walked right past the exec, right past the senior aide de camp, right into his office. Don't, I don't really do that, right? And I uh, said, hey, looks like you could use a friend. Don't know what I, why I did it, you know, that, but I did. I said, hey, looks like you can use a friend. He said, yeah, Buck sure can. So um, this goes back to what you were saying. You know, they're, they're human, right? They have feelings, right? And, um, you know, some people don't realize that, you know, it's just like a movie star or a football player or, or you know, whatever. They, you know, they have the other side too. They, they want to vent, right? But it's always, it's always, can I vent? Or will, you know, will this ever, you know, there's things that, that have said behind closed doors don't want to stay behind closed doors. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's probably one of the uh, toughest things that I've ever had to do with them, right? Because I, I, I saw that, I felt that hurt, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then uh, I, I would give uh, a couple of ideas or, or scenarios or suggestions, I guess I could call them suggestions on, hey boss, I think, you know, I, I'm working through GC and, and, and they're not they're not comfortable with you doing X, Y, and Z. And he said, yeah, okay, thanks. But I'm still going to do this because he, you know, he, he owed, he owed people to see that side of him. So, um, you know, that I'll just leave it at that. I don't, I don't want to, you know, air any laundry for him because he's such a great man. Uh, but uh, you know, so you basically seen him in, some really tough spots and have to, you know, even for a man in his position, have to be really brave in, in certain times and and really make a tough call, you know, that's going to be emotionally challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, everybody has to do that, right? Everybody has to do it. And, um, you know, it just comes, it, it, it comes, uh, you know, at a position that sometimes that you have people agree and sometimes you don't, but, you know, at the, at the end of the day, be his wingman any day, any time. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So to to flip to flip that around a little bit, do you have any funny stories that maybe myself and everyone else doesn't know about? Um, you know, funny stories. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know if I have any funny stories. I just have stories that, you know. <clears throat> You know, he and I would, uh, you know, you know, I, I think that I'm going to, Josh, I think I'm going to back off. He's like, if he listens to this, he's going to go, I don't think that was so funny, Buck. <laughs> um, no, I think that, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we've done some, we've done some great things. Uh, the last three years working for him, you know, in the public sector has been absolutely a dream. Right. And, and um, so, uh, you know, I, I would, um, like I said, you know, I'm going to re go back to re referring to I'd be his wingman anytime. Just a great guy. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any of those stories that I think that. Um, that, that no, hey, hey, Buck, I ain't trying to I ain't trying to get you in trouble, my man. So don't don't let's. Yeah. I said funny stories. You know, that's mm, 
yeah, that's you gotta be careful. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so okay, I have a good question then. So, you know, if you ever ask someone, you know, what their biggest strengths are, it might be different what that person says about themselves than like their peer or coworker would say about them, right? So my question to you is, what are his top three attributes that made him such an effective leader? Oh man, I think, I think he's a great listener. I think he's a great leader. Um, you know, and, and I think that, um, um, you know, people respect him, right? They respect, because um, he, because he is such a good listener, right? And, you know, he's, he, he doesn't, he, he really um, methodically thinks things through, right? Because he knows that some of the decisions that he's going to make are, are consider making, uh, you know, could be long-term, right? So um, I, I think, I, I think is, I think it's just, uh, it's leadership. Uh, the more, the more, that I watched him uh, when he was active duty. Um, it was it was like he's not a he's not a speaker. He's a storyteller. You can't wait for him to turn the page, right? You can't wait. You, you listen to him and you go, "Oh man, what's going to happen next?" And it's and it's that he turns that page, and you just can't wait to, for him to turn that page to get to the next, and then towards the end, you don't want the story to end, right? You want it to, and that's just the way he kind of, he kind of locks you in. You know, I can remember, um, you know, I can go back to, uh, I'm going to refer to Mike. And um, so Mike wanted to come up to the Pentagon uh, before he came in the Air Force, right? So he came up, you know, I, I he had a big red beard. I said, dude, you got to shave that dude. You can't come up here and and do this, you know, I was going to introduce him to some folks that, uh, that I worked with around the Pentagon. And so I brought him up and he, I, I think that Mike really never asked what my jobs were. You know, he never really understood who I had worked for. Right. And, and, and it, I, it was something I never talked about. You know, it was just, I did a job. And um, uh, so you know, I brought Mike up. This is before he went active duty, uh, introduced him. And Mike, you can uh, interject anytime. Brought him up, met him. Uh, he met uh, Chief Wright. You know, Chief Wright sat him down, you know, behind closed doors. They sat and Mike, I mean, uh, Chief Wright asked about the same questions, right? Well, Mike, what are you looking for out of the Air Force? What can we do, right? So you're telling me, Mike, you got to talk to Chief Wright about joining before you joined? <laughs> His first question he ever asked me was, what can the Air Force do better? Oh, my god! Well, even in the Air Force. So just opened so many doors and just already thinking. That's unreal that you're in the Pentagon, in his office, and that's who you're talking to about the Air Wow. I, that's mind-boggling. <laughs> And you know what the bad thing was, Josh? He got coined from Chief Wright before I did. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Well, Mike, you know that he is big Mike. I mean, he does, you know, I'm 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 not uh I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. 
but anyhow, and so then, you know, I introduced him to a couple other folks there in the building, and then uh, then he was able to go in and and, uh, and chat with uh, General Goldfein for a few minutes. And I think then he kind of realized, right? But it still wasn't, you know, it, I don't think it really hit Mike, right? Um, and um, so, uh, you know, Mike talks to the chief, and then, you know, we go about our ways. Matter of fact, I think we went to a Washington Capitals game that night and um came back home to sent mike off you know in december this was november we sent him off in december and uh and the chief comes to me he goes hey buck he says i'm you know he's going to do this holiday tour and he said uh i wanted to go to bmts and uh he said i want to go there right after christmas and i want to visit the airmen in bmts and and I knew where he was going with this, right? Because he knew who was in BMTS in, in December, this guy right below me here, right? And uh, so, um, so now we're, we're, we're working uh, for the chief to visit uh, basic, you know, BMTS there at, at Lackland. And Mike's not the reason that he went. He wanted to go. He, he, we went to like four bases, right, and, uh, in that area. Uh, and it was just a holiday tour. Well, anyhow, long story short was that um, squadron that Mike was in was tapped to um, to be uh, visited by the chief, and the MTI could not figure out what the heck did we do wrong? How did I get tapped to do this? Oh my goodness gracious! And um, so, well, only Mike knew. He knew. So inside baseball, so then we send, you know, we had to send advanced OSI, advanced security to do all the advanced, right? So one of the advanced uh, guys uh, went out and lo and behold, worked with Mike's TI, which were both security defenders. And uh, so, so the TI said, what is the deal? How come we got picked? And uh, so the, so the, OSI guy said, hey, listen, I can't tell you. He said, but one of your one of your troops might know somebody that knows the chief. And um, so then needless to say, Mike was called in and said, okay, dude, let it loose. Mike's, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he goes, okay, now I know the deal. And uh, Mike said under his breath, says, my dad worked for him. <laughs> So anyhow, uh, it was really neat to watch, um, and I had some folks take some pictures, right, of, of the chief sitting in and talking to Mike. What there were twenty five people in there, thirty people, and uh, and and again wanted to know their stories, right? Where you're from, how you doing, why you why are you here? Uh, wow, can you imagine being in basic training and? And and having him show up, and Chief Wright was there too. Uh, no, Chief Wright wasn't on that one. Um, uh, it was just it was John Goldfein, and um, I don't know who else was traveling with him at the time. But um, but it was neat that uh, not only you know not only focused on Mike Squadron, but he focused on you know there's a there was a picture of the mass thirteen hundred recruits. Right, this is before graduation, so they're all recruits. And, uh, and he's talking to these young airmen, these young recruits, and, and talking about the long blue line, 
right? And you know what you have to look forward to, and and you know let let us take care of you, right? Uh, that was that was always him. The long blue line let us take care of you, and um, so anyhow. That's awesome. Did you see your son? So I didn't go. Um, you know, I think my wife would have killed me if I'd have gone without her. So oh, that's a good point. Um, no, I did not go. I was asked to go, and um, uh, I, I just declined. I, I didn't want. You know, that's not the right thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'd love to see him, uh, but it wasn't fair. Again, so I go back to it wasn't fair for. Michael to see his dad and right. these other recruits not to see their parents. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I kind of respected that. And, um, but, but I think I was the first in line, you know, there at BMTS graduation, uh, you know, I, I for made sure. sure I was the first on the airplane to get to San Antonio. That's for sure. Proud Absolutely. of Absolutely. All right. Well, heck, that's quite the adventure. I'm sorry, guys. I took so long. Mike. No, no. I, I mean, just the amount of people that you spent time with is <clears throat> so unique. I mean, you have you you have so many stories about when you saw someone lost their cool or saw someone who got challenged or saw someone fail, you know, people that that no one knows anything about because they're they're so high up there uh, that their inner circle is very small. Right. And so the stories that, you know, I mean, we could talk for hours, I bet, just the things that you've seen um, that you could uh, bring up. You're just such a unique person. Um Thank you for your service, Buck. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I pass, uh, I, I pass the torch to Mike, um, and uh, Mike and I are out of the same mold. And um, so I, I, I only look forward to the days to watch him grow and do the same thing. Um, absolutely. I think I think I, I hate to say this. I think Mike's more organized than I am. So um, um, you know, I think that. Uh, uh, he's going to be a, he's going to be a great airman, a great leader. Uh, I, I hope I can say he's going to be a great chief. 100, 100%. Yeah. Hey y'all, before we get to you, Mike, could I do a quick bathroom break? For sure. I, I crushed this whole thing of water here. <laughs> I'll, I'll be right back. Okay. How you doing, man? Good. Yeah. Can you hear the kids in the background? No. No. I hear I hear crew chasing somebody around back there. Oh. Yeah. How do you have the blurry background? Uh, you just go into the settings. Oh. Hey, you can click on if you right click on your picture. I think it's it should be in there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and then you just hit blur. Oh, you have to download it. It's all right. Oh, okay. Hey guys, you want to say hi to Mikey real quick? No, not that I heard him back there. Your blurry background, anyways, so it don't matter. It's what? I said you have a blurry background, anyways. Yeah. No, I had, uh, I had at one point in time, I had the backyard view of the sunrise. Yeah, I did. Yeah. What'd you want? 
So this was the, let me see that date I was telling you about, 20 December 2019 on that coin I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. What'd you say? That, uh, remember the coin I was telling you about, the date on it, it was uh, December 20th, 2019. Okay. Much better. Good to go. They're good. Good to go. Good for All you. right, Big Mike. You know, I saved you for last because I feel like, you know, you, you have a little bit shorter of a story, and that's okay because you're still Pretty writing true. yours. So why don't you run us through uh, your career, my man? So it'll it all starts when I asked my dad uh, for his blessing to join the Air Force. So it all started with that. I was working uh, at the shipyard, was just tired of what I was doing. I was working night shift, just got tired of sitting around, working nights. I wanted a change. I wanted a challenge. I wanted something new. So I was like, hey, do I have your blessing to go in the Air Force? And he said, of course. Um, so, And how old in. were you when you joined? 22. So you joined a little bit older than, older. you know, a lot of folks joined at 18. Right at 18. But I personally, I think that was the best decision I could have made because I was already a little bit more um, smarter, uh, a little more mature, and just I had a little more life experience than some of the people that had just turned 18 joining. I feel like it just kind of sets you up to help them be a better leader. Absolutely. You know, I, I always was jealous of people who had, who joined a little bit later because I, I it's almost like I got stuck as a child, <laughs> you know, like it, it, there's a little bit more of a lag for maturity when you don't even know how the real world operates. You know what I mean? So sure. uh, you grow up a lot quicker when, you know, you you're on your own, like, and, and have a civilian side job and you kind of know how the world works a little bit. Um, so I got another question, you know, what made you have that talk with your dad before you joined? Cause you said you asked for his blessing. Now, obviously you didn't have to do that. So what compelled you to do that? So it, it kind of goes back to the job I was working before the shipyard. I had worked there for two and a half years. Uh, I had moved around, but they would not hire me as a supervisory role because of my age. So I ended up going to the shipyard because it was paying more and there was a better opportunity for me at that specific time. And then the same thing with the shipyard, I moved up to the next position and I couldn't get any further because of my age. And I wasn't challenged within that year that when I got my promotion, I wasn't challenged at all. I felt like I was still doing the same job, just... I was motivated, but I wasn't challenged and I wanted a new challenge. And so I just pulled him aside and I was asked for the blessing to go in the Air Force. And I knew that would be my biggest challenge so far in my life. Do you think that that talk <clears throat> with your dad beforehand was just that you knew, you know, he would appreciate that decision? For sure. I mean, I, of course, knew he would he would be proud of me for making that decision. But it was a fact of just asking because I know my grandpa my dad, and then it would be me. So it was kind of just following in their footsteps as well. Just wow, making that's pretty awesome. How did that night go after that? Uh, it was pretty quick talk. I wasn't, didn't beat around the bush, just got right to it. And then just started talking. 
That's awesome. What was the drink of choice? I think it was an IPA for me and it was a Shiner Bach or I don't know. Yeah. How about Devil's Backbone? <laughs> That's what it was. Okay. Hey, Buck, yeah. you got a good memory. <laughs> you you remember people's names and position i'm like i can't even do that now so i you're you've got a good memory i think that's one of your one of the reasons you kept getting hired yeah um okay all right mike continue yeah you you just got started and i already hit you with a lot of questions but keep going nope you're perfectly fine so after that we pretty much uh i went to taps taps was quick i picked security forces um i did pick security forces my second choice would have been pa but I wanted to go security forces to better set myself up to be some type of uh, law enforcement, try and go OSI, try and do security detail, stuff like that, personal security. Um, just because that's what I grew up wanting to do, seeing my dad working for all the generals and meeting all their drivers and whatnot. That was always my inspiration once joining the Air Force, was, but they actually got away with a lot of the driver slots. So. Mm -hmm. But back to, I went to basic, basic was eight and a half weeks, um, did that, had a bunch of fun, got to meet General Golfing for the second time, um, got singled out a little bit in a good way. Uh, the day before he came, they were just like, I need to put eyes on you. Um, didn't tell me why, so I didn't know until the day of when we got pulled into a classroom and he kind of talked to us. Um, but that was a really cool experience. I know and a lot of people don't get to experience that and it. I'm very grateful for that. And after that, uh, just finished uh, basic, did 13 weeks in tech school. And then about week nine or 10 uh, is when COVID hit. So we were the last team to get pepper spray, the last team to fight the big red man. Um, and then COVID hit. What's the big red man? So you get in a ring um, and you have to do like baton strikes to teach you your baton skills against a big cadre and a big red suit. Oh, I know so what you you're start, talking about. You start beating him up and there's another one that'll come out of the woodworks and beat you up. Oh my goodness. It's a good time. It sounds like um, it. But after that, pretty much finished, uh, had orders to Ramstein. COVID canceled all overseas listings for, I don't know, like, 10 or 12 weeks. So I happened to fall in that uh, time frame of them canceling all overseas orders. So my orders got diverted to Tyndall, came to Tyndall when COVID was in its prime. Um, I remember doing 14 day quarantine right when I got to Tyndall. So I sat in a dorm room, had some pretty decent food. Um, what, do you, what is that? Is that sarcasm? That's sarcasm. <laughs> they were they were going to the dining facility and bringing you food right they were it was uh i've yeah. I, so i never had part you know i'm public health so i i'm not allowed to do the quarantines like it, it it was like you know we were too essential um to that covid mission right so i can't even i've never had 14 days in my life like that's like a jail sentence or something like i've never even experienced that it was difficult going somewhere you didn't know um what you were doing, you were just stuck in a hotel room for 14 days. They told you you could go on a run or a walk alone, not with anybody, um, but you had to be back in your room by dark and you could only leave to go on a run once a day. Um, so luckily I didn't, I don't think I left the room till like day three or four. 
and I actually ran down to the beach and that was the first time I saw the crystal clear blue water and the white sandy beaches. Yeah. Um, and then I made that a daily trip. <laughs> Which day did you start that? Probably like day three. three oh, okay. or four. That's, that's when you're like, I got to get out of here. I don't care if I'm, I'm running ready. or whatever. <laughs> but I ended up doing my 14 days. Uh, everybody was COVID negative. So I came with about 10 other people which was very unusual, but it, again, it fell under a lot of the people had overseas orders and Tyndall was just starting to get um, people in because it was after the hurricane. I think it was like a year and a half after and it was just starting to get its feet back um, going. Ended up going to flight, worked flight for about a year, uh, started working in the armory, handing out weapons, doing all that fun stuff. Um, and then worked flight a little more and then got picked up to go back office. And I'm still currently back office doing reports and analysis. So I currently do all police reports and incident reports and tickets and then AFJs and all that fun stuff on uh, Tyndall. It's very interesting. I work directly with a lot of the shirts, the commanders and legal. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'll be doing that up until I leave for deployment and see what happens when I come back. Are you excited about that? I am. I'm very excited. It'll be my first that's awesome. deployment. So that's awesome, man. Um, so security forces. So <clears throat> here's a little bit of a deep question for you. Okay. So, you know, security forces does have some struggles, right? You know, you often see it online. Um, very much. so. It seems like mental health struggles are, you know, a, an issue. And it seems like security forces sometimes, you know, is uh, the ones that are more vocal about it. Um, and so, you know, my question to you, Mike, is like, have you seen that? Have you experienced that? And, you know, how have you, you know, supported your fellow airmen or gotten around that as best you can? Like, what does that look like for you? Um, it's, uh, it's different because we're all mandatory, mandatory reporters. Um, so it's kind of like, people want to talk, but a lot of people can't talk. So it's kind of difficult for people to come to you because they know, um, and it's not to say that they'll get their gun taken, but they know what will happen if people do talk. So that's, I feel like there needs to be an easier way for people to talk within security forces without them thinking they're going to have repercussions that can affect their career long lasting. Like even if so question for you, um, I know if someone says they're going to they want to end their life, that would obviously get your weapon taken away. Is that the only time the weapon's taken away or could something less severe get it taken away? Like, are, do they have I the mean, freedom I've to say jokingly? It, it kind of just depends on the circumstance. I, I'm not the person that decides to take their weapon. Of course, it's always the commander in the shirt, but it just people can joke and they, people can take it the wrong way and that's all it takes. So it's like, it's a fine line of people when they are joking about it or you, if they're serious about it, it's just, it's kind of difficult. Have you ever, I mean, uh, so the, I asked the same question then, you know, what, what things have you done to work around that to, to still be there for someone or yourself? You just get as close as, you can with the people um, on your flight. So you want to learn their personalities and be able to tell when somebody's down or when somebody's 
doing something different or not themselves. So you want to make friends with everybody on your flight to be able to really see their personality. And when it's, when something's off, you want to be able to recognize that something's off. Absolutely. Are, are you one that stays typically positive or, or are you more a glass half empty type of person? Uh, I try and stay positive. I try and talk to everybody and get to know everybody so that if there is ever an incident where I need to go talk to somebody, I can always feel comfortable and I can always sit them aside before it gets to that point of them making any decisions or trying to talk to somebody. I'd like for them to talk to me, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, and you talked about when you joined, you were looking for a challenge. When have you been the most challenged since you joined? Um, probably flight. Flight was a big challenge. We had um, a lot of different instances. It's just like, again, it's security forces. You respond to something different every day. Like today, I had a challenge of a incident on base that I've never had to deal with or I'll have people come to ask me questions and I've never had to deal with it. So I'll have to find the answers to be able to accomplish whatever the incident is to be able to help them complete their task. Is there a time where you were the most challenged? Um, yeah, we had a incident off base where it started on base and it ended up being a, basically a high-speed chase. And that was probably my biggest challenge, just because it was something I've never experienced. The, probably the biggest adrenaline rush um, I've, ever, I've ever had. And it's just being able to balance multiple different things at the same time, being out of your comfort zone, but then being able to reel it back in to calm yourself and take control of yourself and remain calm in that situation. So yeah, I'm sure it got really intense when that other person, you, you know, they flipped the switch and they're, they're trying to get the heck out of there and, and, it, and the situation gets real, real quick. Very real. Were you able to keep your cool in that situation? I was. How did it uh, end? It ended uh, she ended up pulling into a private neighborhood and we ended up, um, she <laughs> pulled in and parked and acted like she was sleeping. Hmm. Because she nice. got trapped in the driveway. So yeah. So it ended it, peacefully, yeah. thankfully. It did. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, dang, Mike. I'm I'm proud of you, man. I'm sure that's not the last challenge we're gonna have either. Uh, but I, I do have the ultimate faith in you, you know, that you. that you can handle the situations that you're faced with. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, I I, kn I know your story would be a little bit shorter, so I had a little bit extra questions for you. Um, and I on. guess when it comes to, I guess I have one last question regarding your story, and I'm going to take it back to the question that Chief Wright asked you. What did he ask you in that office? What can the Air Force do better? So... You've got now, now you've got four years under your belt, right? <laughs> Let's hear it now, Mike. What, what's your, what would your, if Chief Wright asked you that today, what would you tell him? Um, I wish there was an easier way to help um, individuals out that have not say been done wrong by the Air Force, but there's been different incidents within the four years I've been in where 
let's just say I knew a master sergeant who had orders to um, overseas and his orders got canceled um, while his, his orders got canceled uh, within 10 days of him supposed to be overseas. So all of his goods, household goods are already on a freight going over there and they <sighs> diverted his orders to Holloman Air Force Base. That is brutal. So it's just little things like that, which in my personal opinion, I don't think that should happen because now he's going to go. So it's three months to get his goods. So now it's going to be say another six, at least to get it back. Just different instances like that. Um, I feel like the air force should do better. We're, we're almost like common sense should come in and, and help this person out that clearly, you know, the, it doesn't really make sense for that situation to happen. Nope. Right. So like I call that, I've seen that myself. Uh, and when you're a leader, when you're leading people, you can kind of be that voice to, to stop those things from happening. Now with him, that one's kind of above our pay grade. Right. But you will see those situations. Trust me. Um, you know, I have this term, people are greater than PowerPoints. You know, I, I might even put that on one of my shirts and it all stems from an airman who had brain surgery, like literal brain surgery, right? Uh, and he was not doing good. You know, he had a very lengthy recovery time and his and his wife was basically driving him around. Well, they I was filling in for the shirt and they showed up because their leadership told him he had to like finish some PowerPoint or time card or something. And And they were just so focused on that task that they couldn't see that, that was an inappropriate thing to ask someone who just had brain surgery. You know what I mean? And, you know, you, sometimes we just get so caught up in like the little details. We, we fail to see the big picture. And I think that's what you're describing. And, you know, Mike, I challenge you to be the one that sees the big picture, you know, as you progress through your career. I second that. You're going to see a lot of short sightedness. You'll see it. Trust me, Mike. But, you know, I, I, if I could if I could interject just a second, you know, there's probably a reason, some reason, you know, they just don't sometimes, you know, something may have happened to that they needed that that person of that rank that his background, uh, you know, not not protecting the Air Force, but, you know, you know, sometimes they just don't. You know, people don't just turn a switch at AFPC because they can. You know, there's sometimes there are reasons, right? But I think I think they need to know what the reasons are. You know, I think mm -hmm. that that master sergeant should have been told this is why we're doing it. You know, we had no other choice, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it would be different if he knew they tried every other option. Right. And here's yeah. why it's you. You know, he might that that you know, that person would not feel as like salty about it if they, if they knew all the background, if they knew the whole, the whole background. That's right. That's right. No, I, I agree with that, uh, Buck. That's, that's sage wisdom. All right. So I got one last question for each of you and, and then, then we're done. You guys, you guys crushed it. You guys had amazing stories. I love y'all. Um, so Buck, I'm going to hit you with one. These are the last two questions. Uh, so Buck, yours is what type of legacy do you hope you and General Goldfein leave behind? Uh, you know, I think that um, 
I'm going to use a term that General Goldfin used. Every challenge has an opportunity, right? And, and That's I, a quote on my Facebook page. I'm going to steal that from him. Every challenge has an opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, I look at it that I've had a challenge in every job that I've had. And I've had an opportunity to uh, accomplish that challenge, that incident, that situation, whatever. And I can even tell you today um, that um, JD, just Dave, he doesn't, I can't call him chief and he doesn't want to call him general. I don't call him Dave to his face, I call him sir. But, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, it's that, that challenge in, in, in the civilian community now, in the public sector, as we call it, uh, there's always an opportunity for that challenge. And, um, you know, I, I did 40 years of federal service, right? 20 years active duty, 20 years civil service. And now I'm thrown into this public sector. And, you know, it, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same as, as how the government is run, right? So you're, so here I am, an old dog trying to learn new tricks. And um, again, it goes back to that, that challenge. I have a new opportunity. So, um, and, and, I, and I don't have anybody else to thank uh, for this next chapter in my life, but Dave Goldfein. Yeah. I'm excited to see like, you know, what else y'all got in store for us? Well, we, uh, you know, it's... Um, it's just been announced that he's, uh, you know, we're, we're um, doing some stuff with the Google and, you know, he's got some stuff with Blackstone and, uh, you know, there's other, other items in his portfolio. So he's staying busy. I'll put it that way. Um, and, and also still trying to be a, a husband, a dad and a grandpa. So, wow. <clears throat> that guy just, it's like, there's three of them out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Okay. So Mike, last question. I don't even know why I wrote this. I, I, I guess because my podcast is called Hero Front, bringing your inner hero to the front of your life. So Mike, last question. What does being a hero mean to you? Um, so I will bring it back to so we have these robot dogs um, at Tyndall. You have uh, those? We do have little, basically normal sized dogs that are just robots. Can I come out there and hang out with them? Come on. They're in, all right. I get to work with them all the time. Um, but we do a lot of civilian activities. So we'll take them to schools and we'll show them off. And then you'll have all these kids that just get inspired and want to see them run. They ask a hundred questions. They just... It just, it's amazing seeing them so interested in the dogs, but then that makes them interested in the Air Force. So it's like the big picture of, hey, I remember when I was a kid being able to see this young person um, operating this robot and then thinking about that. And then one day that could be their hero. You know what I mean? Like, it's just different. Yeah. No, the, those visual, you know, experiences we have are are very powerful, and I feel like when you're on the other side of the coin, you know, it, it brings you back to it. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you saw some all sorts of cool stuff as a kid, 
you know, with, with your dad having the job that he had, and then now you're on the other side of the coin and, you know, you're seeing people come after you and, you know, you remember how that felt, you know, and, and how special those moments were. And so you're, you're basically taking pride in, in yourself and giving that back to other people. Seeing their faces light up, just seeing something they've never seen before or asking questions is just, that makes it for me. Absolutely. Mike, I have a, a recommendation for you. Yes, sir. I think when you get back from your deployment, if it's at all remotely possible, I think you'd make a hell of an honor guardsman. And I think you should you should go to say, tell your shirt the next time they need a base honor guardsman, like, please put my name in the hat. I want that experience because I, I think you would be great at it. And I also think you would learn a lot from it. I feel like you're the type of person that would be open to uh, learning from that experience. Thank you. Yeah, he's a great listener. Great. Absolutely. Listener. Absolutely. And hey, so, Buck, I just want to end with just telling you. And Mike, thank you guys so much um, for not only for coming on yourselves, but you remember how we met? I must have looked like a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So that was a really cool you know, experience for me because it was the first time I got to podcast basically for the Air Force, right? Like my trip was funded and... I, I had complete freedom to interview, you know, whoever wanted to sit down with me. And a lot of people said it was the best part of their whole trip. Like they absolutely loved it. And I have content to this day from that, that five days because of just how many people I was able to talk to. General Goldfein's different, right? He's kind of, he's, he's, he's in another galaxy, right? The only way I knew he could ever come on is if I met him personally and pitched it to him in 10 seconds or less. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what I did. But it never would have worked if it wasn't for you, Buck. Um, you know, taking time to get to know, you know, what I'm all about, what I was trying to do, uh, and then having the faith in me to set that up. So that, that conversation was amazing. Uh, it's the second most downloaded one I've ever had. Um, and so many people have reached out to me and said that they loved that episode, that they loved, you know, the vulnerability, the transparency, and what he had to say about the enlisted force. You know, I had tons of feedback from people that just absolutely loved that episode. So you have to tell, you have to tell them that, you know, people loved that episode and listened to it over and over again because they enjoyed it so much. Um, and so, Buck, I just want to tell you thanks for making that possible because that's something impossible in my mind that you helped make possible. No, too easy. Too easy. You did a great job in the 10 seconds. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I was in a great mood. <laughs> I was in the zone that night. All right. So, Buck, final thoughts. Anything you want to share as we wrap no. this up? You know, all I can say uh, to the airmen that listen to you, that, that listen to this podcast, and, and you know, I know the people that you have on here are, are real airmen, are true heroes to, in other people's eyes, right? And, um, you know, I, I just appreciate 
um, again, appreciate your service, but I appreciate what you're doing for our airmen. You know, it gives them another outlet. It gives them, you know, it's not always that they want to listen to an old, old retired master sergeant, you know, or, or, or a young senior airman. Right. But, you know, it's always, it's always neat that, um, that you care, right. And, and that you, you take time out of your Friday night at seven thirty at night, you know, to, to chat with us, uh, to put this on, on, on the podcast for, for anybody to listen to. And, uh, you know, whether it's something I said or, or Mike said, or you said that may brighten their day, you know, uh, that they may go, Hey man, that was, that was me, or that was pretty cool or, or whatever. Um, but I appreciate, uh, you know, once an airman, always an airman. I appreciate you taking care of our airmen. Yes, sir. I, I really appreciate those kind words, really. Yep. And the, the beauty of podcasting and that we've opened that door and, and it's been so well received is that, you know, if you had a, let's just say a command chief or someone with a lot of, you know, folks underneath them, that episode could introduce all of them to their views, philosophies and, and their life story and a conversation you normally would never have heard about your leader. Right. Um, and so the the how I've seen it bring people together and build trust has been, you know, significant. Uh, and so, Buck, you've been a part of that journey, too. So, you know, with coming on yourself and helping me with the with uh, J.D. And so I wanted to, to thank you, you Absolutely. know, for everything you've done, for having such a, a kick ass son, Mike. Yeah. Um, and just Perfect. the countless years of of being the backbone for so many generals who needed your help. Yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, publicly thanking my son for his service. Yeah, proud of him. Definitely. All right, Big Mike, final thoughts. Just thank you for having us. Thank you for inspiring so many people. I know people for sure will listen to these podcasts and get inspired to do better or do more and try and excel in their careers just to be able to impress and promote and yeah and be happy and live a purposeful life <laughs> yes sir mike that's the advice i'm going to give you i didn't realize how much i valued purpose this is my final thought i'll just throw one in my final thought purpose is so important it's it's why you joined right yes, otherwise sir. you wouldn't have but you felt this purpose and you wanted something greater than yourself and I've seen a lot of people lose sight of that, right? And once that happens, you know, that's that's kind of when we start getting depressed or drinking too much, et cetera, is when you lose sight of that purpose and you lose faith in yourself. So Mike, never underestimate the value of purpose. And if you start to lose it, go out and find it. It's there. Sometimes you just need to go, you know, searching for it. That's awesome. That is awesome, Josh. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something. But this was the hero's journey of Buck and Mike Holloway. And we're out. <laughs>